Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, the following program produced with an artistic vengeance by Magic Matt Allen. Hey now. Hey now. I am the legendary Burl Bear, the man right there, Howard Lapidus, manager of the star. You know, yeah, I did not hear the show start. I thought you were practicing. For once in your life, I thought you were actually practicing. Oh, oh no. But we are nestled. We're still nestled, correct? Yep. Well nestled we are. Now what, now what else do you have to say <laughs> on the intro? Do you have more to say? Uh, no, I think it's about it. Oh, well, Mark C.G. Boyer, our fact checker, is uh, huddled in the corner. Yes, I am. <laughs> we might let his microphone come on a few times. No, we're not allowed. Uh, Can't have that. That's learning how to use it is the uh, trick here. We'll be fine. So what do you got for us today, bro? Well, in the wide world of show business, there are some basic truths that you know for a fact. Never expect to steal a scene from a dog, a little kid, or Burgess Meredith. <laughs> Good luck these days. Yeah, well, he's dead, but his tricks live on. What, it, what, what, what were his tricks? Well, if you see the movie, uh, what's it called, The Longest Day, or whatever it is about the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah, that movie's still going on. I, I started it watching it in the it's, 60s. It's, yeah, it's still going on. Yeah. Burgess Meredith is in that film, and there is a scene where the Otto Preminger had to stop and have his hands tied behind his back because he was stealing the scene from the other actors by doing all sorts of stuff with his hands, right. playing with cards. Sure. And, yeah. And Preminger got pissed and <laughs> tied the, his uh, hands. Howard, uh, Pearl, that was yeah. In Harm's Way, John Wayne. Uh, thank you. That is the longest day is D-Day, the 6th of June, right? Yeah. Hence, hence Mark's moniker, fact checker. fact checker. Fact checker, yeah. Well, of no, course, yeah, nowadays see, facts aren't so important. see, no one would have known the difference on that one. If you Except hadn't brought it up to shame me. So some some fine listeners may know the, and let them know that they they got it right and we got it wrong. I like that when that happens. Yeah, but shouldn't you have some... I was going to ask if you should have some credibility on this show. I take it back. Uh, how is it that you could ask that Before question? we get to our guest, Howard, I yeah. want to share with you... Well, before you get to the guest, uh, we're still waiting for your guest to call. I'm assuming that there's a phone call coming oh. this way. I should be. I believe I gave him the number. Oh, you may have. I believe... Oh, I believe I gave him the number. Yeah, they, they may have called prior to the show when I wasn't in the booth. Could have happened. Mm-hmm. But I like that. Hey, Matt, I like that. I like that part. I may have given him the number. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's, excellent. Oh, that's my I just favorite got a part. From him. let me look it up here and see what it says. Yeah, let's see. I what it tried says. to oh, call. I'm not, tried to, I'm not doing the show now. I no, tried. No, no. I I attempted to call. No one. No one answered. I bet that's. You think that's what he says? Why am, why am I getting global poker here instead? Because you're. Oh God. That's your pearl there. Because I'm Burl Bear. If you picked up a Mark's phone, it'd go right to you, porn. And, you know, it's, it's no, just red tube. <laughs> red. Oh, you know better. No. Yeah, that's, that's true. No. You, oh, um, you do. It, you do understand that Burl Bear is a mental patient. Oh, I th- was sure I sent him the number, but you know I didn't. Oh, <laughs> but I have a, a number and a yeah. <laughs> under mental patient. Yeah. yeah. I have, uh, okay. As suspected. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so should we start the show over again? Yeah. Should, no, uh, remember last week? Does anybody remember that we uh, uh, Burl came, uh, did not come, 
Uh, nor he showed up so late that it his arriving today was for last week. That's, that's correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you got it. And our guest was there. And our guest was lovely, and she made life very easy for us. And, and we got we got from point A to point B. But today, Burrow, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to save you again. I don't think I got another save in me. On the month of uh, August. <laughs> well, you just hold on here, because I'm going to give him the number, and he'll call in too sweetly. I should hold on here? Yeah, you just okay. keep talking. I, oh, okay, because I was going to hold on. I was going to keep my mouth shut. I thought that would be the best idea. Mark, do, do you have any clue as to what who this guy is? Oh, I know all about him. No, you. Oh, yes. who you are? He's a historian. And no, not not who our guest is. That I know. Oh. And we'll and we'll 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 give the audience the flavor they need. But Burl Bear is the problem. Oh, why no Burl? I, I yeah. pretend that I don't. He's t he's trying to prevent uh, pre pretend that he's faxing. The phone number two. All right, yes. Mark. You're, by now, you should know. You have to be right on top of that. I know well, you don't. I know good. you don't want to get your lips on it because Frank uses it after you do, and I do understand that dilemma. So that's why it smells. Like but it's the only. <laughs> that's why. It, that's why it smells like fruity cologne. <laughs> that's funny, actually. There, uh, Frank will not be joining us today. Why not? Is it something we said? Yes. No, I, I guess the, this is the coolest it's been in here in weeks. Oh, this and, is, and, and yeah, because yeah, he's imagining it to be awful, and it's very nice. Yeah. It's, uh, so how did you get here? Was it Uber? Lyft? No. Oh. No, I still don't know the answer. I took the Genius Mobile. <laughs> okay. Well, since you pay for it, you may as well. Pay for it? Uber is so much cheaper. It's, I can't so, it's so many ways. Yes, I'll Uber home at some point. Yeah. That's what I'll do. <laughs> bum, 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 All right, I'll be the tune you're playing there. I'll be over there. It's a Kermit the Frog song. Uh, Don't you know? Hey, this song? have you seen the movie Vanilla Sky? Yeah, about 20 years. 20 ago. years ago. Right. <laughs> I was watching it to catch up on what I missed 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tom Cruise is shagging uh, what's her name uh, with a little wild abandon and Brandon the Wild, and all of a sudden the thing comes to a screeching halt. Do you want to save this recording or not? The movie wasn't over. And so I have no idea what happened at the end. I forget. Uh, the butler I, did it. The butler? He doesn't have a butler. <laughs> the butler did Tom Cruise. You know what I did see is I, I did Tom see, uh, the I saw the new Mission Impossible with I Tom was great. Cruise. Yeah. I, I it loved it. It was really We all loved it. Yeah. We all loved it. Matthew, did you happen to see it? Who? Matthew. Uh, all right. Did you see it, Matt? You, you may you may have given up the number because there is someone on the phone. Yeah, oh, there, there we go. Yes. Hey, Peter, have you seen the new Tom Cruise movie? <laughs> no, I haven't. Oh, it's real good. You'll enjoy it. I will definitely do that. I'm happy to be here today, Burl. Oh, well, I'm happy you're here because we said, gee, did I send him our phone number? And it was, there it was in my drafts folder. No, he, he didn't bother sending you the phone number. I thought about yeah, it. Yeah, that's how, that's, but that's, you know, that's how we do things around here. It just works that way. It's that kind of a show. You know what you're in for. Yeah, it's Patrick, by the way, is on the phone with us. I know. That's Patrick uh, Baumeister, Baumaster? Uh, Bowmaster. Bowmaster. Like Can't you even pronounce it? Guys no, I can't. I can hardly read it. My eyesight's so bad. I'm senile. What do you want from me? <laughs> Nothing more, Jeez, bro. I, mean, <laughs> I, 
want nothing more. I'm a legend, more. but I'm a well-known has-been. Yes, you are. I want nothing more. Yeah. Well, you are a legend, Burrell, and that's why I'm, I feel so fortunate to be here. I know you have the, the top true crime show, and I have to say, being interviewed by you today is definitely one of the highlights of my professional career. Well, Boy, we're going to put that in bronze and hang it from a wall somewhere. Yeah, you see, if me, I'm just watching. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. I'm just, uh, I'm just sitting over here to the side watching. No, but that, that's okay. We do have the number one true crime show in uh, uh, worldwide uh, true crime radio. That's right. Uh, true crime, uh, well, it's called audio because we're in so many different platforms. But we are number one. In fact, uh, the, the great uh, Aaron Moriarty uh, from CBS News, we're, we're her best. favorite. She says yeah. we're the best. And I'd like to thank our friends at uh, Guinness World uh, Book of Records. Yeah, uh, Nate Tapes. <laughs> Do they still have 8-track tapes? Yeah, get his book of records with 8-track Do you remember tapes. the 8-track tape in the middle of a great song? A track Yeah. <laughs> the great song, and then boom, it stops, and then... Click, click. Click, click, and then you got to wait for it to start. And, <laughs> and it always cuts stuff off. I always get confused between discrete and matrix on my quad system. There you go. Speaking of quad systems, how can a dog testify in court? Well, what happened was, in my case, is that... Um, the dog was actually brought to the court um, by a neighbor who uh, took him in after his master was murdered. And the press reported that the dog made a, a big production of growling and snarling at the defendant as he, was brought, as he was brought into the courtroom. And the press reported that that made a big impression on the jury and uh, helped to sway them to uh, convict the man who uh, committed the murder that I write about in my book. Amazing. If Burgess Meredith would have been there. <laughs> yes, right. So, so the dog was whining and the jury was swayed. I'm sorry, the, the dog was what, Paul? Well, no, Howard, whining. Oh, whining. Yes, he, I'm sorry, Howard. Yes, he was growling and snarling and uh, made a big show of his anger towards the man. Um, the... the uh, it's an interesting story where the when the the man who uh, was actually drowned, uh, who is the, the the victim in the story, and the dog first makes the effort to save him from drowning. Uh, after he doesn't succeed, he runs and gets a neighbor and brings him back to the scene. And um, is this Lassie? <laughs> yeah. It was incredible. Yes, he jumps in the water, starts swimming around uh, the, the, a place in the Spring River in Arkansas where the man went under. Uh, the neighbor swam down, pulled his body up. Um, then the investigation started. And as I say in my book, his service wasn't done because later on, as I mentioned, he makes a big show at the courtroom, which the press reported influenced the jury, the jury and, and helped get justice for his master. Was this trial one or two? It was just one trial. It was in, uh, started in August 1905. And it shows how differently uh, things worked back then, because the murder happened uh, June, um, or is it June? I'm sorry, yeah, June 30th, and in early August, the trial was already started. Boy, they moved fast. So the they do. Back then, they didn't waste any time. Were you able to get transcripts from the jury room? <laughs> I wasn't. That was the one thing. I know that, um, that Burl, you, uh, your many books, you write on more modern crimes. It was different in this case. I contacted all of the repositories that would have had records, and going back to 1905, they told me they had nothing that survived. So I had to write mainly from newspaper coverage of the day. Well, at least it was a big enough story that the newspapers were given in coverage. Yeah. Uh, were you able to discern any uh, great uh, contradictions or inaccuracies between the, uh, the different newspaper coverage of the, of the trial? 
I did. That was one thing that that was tricky. You know, um, I, I guess. Uh, I mean, I guess you know, journalists are humans like the rest of us, and I did have to sort through some contradictions. You know, I guess any anytime you you write, you're going to find conflicting sources, and you just have to use your best judgment, your experience, and try to. Um, you know, work out which you think was accurate and, and which wasn't, and, and that definitely was one of the challenges that I had to to um, to, to uh, get through with writing my book. Um, quite often in those days, and well, kind of like Nancy Grace, they would sensationalize certain aspects of the story that perhaps weren't really that important, but were great for the readership. Now, you have some pretty colorful characters, and I hope you'll tell us about them, that uh, will be ripe for really getting into some of those human interest aspects of scintillating stories, aside from the murder. I think you're right. The, one of the interesting characters was the sheriff who cracked the case, and he was a man who was born in, uh, I would say, probably the worst type of rural poverty imagine and imagining, and, and this wasn't, you know, poverty in, 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 in America in 2018, where, where, of course, being poor is horrible, but poor people in America, we have the safety net, they have food stamps, they have a roof over their head, they have widescreen TVs, they have a cell phone. You know, back then in rural Arkansas, I mean, poor was, was really poor to be a boy in the late 19th century. And this man was illiterate until he married his wife. His wife taught him how to, leave, how to read and write. And um, he ran for sheriff. I think he was 30 when he got elected. And uh, he was an incredibly uh, gifted lawman, did a great job, went on to read for the bar, became a successful lawyer, uh, became a state prosecutor, and had a, a fabulous reputation as a, um, a state a politician, a, a state assemblyman, and finally a state senator. And one of the things I talked about in my book was that uh, it was the type of story where it, it, that wasn't really possible in too many places in the world outside of the United States in 1905 for someone to be born in, you know, to every disadvantage and, and to become uh, an incredibly successful, influential person. It's, it's very inspiring. And, and I had a chance to speak to his, um, pardon me, his grandson because... Mm. In 2011, uh, a bank in Arkansas uh, uncovered a safe deposit box that had been on claim since the sheriff died in, in uh, 1941. And um, in it was a, a vast collection of personal papers relating to um, his whole professional career. And uh, I, I found out that that safe deposit box was given to the, man, said the man's grandson, who's now a dentist. So I looked up on Facebook, and I, I got his dental office number. I called him up in his office. And uh, his wife happened to answer, who is his office worker. So it's funny. I have an image of you know me calling on a Saturday afternoon and the guy leaving a patient in the chair to come speak to me. But anyway, he did talk to me. Very nice, fascinating man. He talked to me about the incredible collection of historical documents. And he was kind enough to send me um, several documents, which I actually used in the uh, writing of my ebook. Hmm. So, so how did uh, back to the case? How did he crack this case? Well, what happened was. He, um, when interviewed, you know, as it's as say, you know, who are the last people who saw the person alive. He interviewed uh, the neighbor who um, actually took possession of the dog. What happened is when the dog watched his master die, the dog ran to get help from a neighbor. Uh, that neighbor was interviewed, I'm sure. Uh, I'm also certain the sheriff would have interviewed the, the housekeeper of the man. 
and also um, the boyfriend of the man. And she compared the two stories, and he realized there were conflicts, and, and uh, he got them both to confess. And um, uh, th that was how the story broke. It it's in some ways the story is, is at a basic level something that we, we still have with us today. When writing about the story, I thought a lot about Anna Nicole Smith. It was a question where a, a very young, attractive woman, in this case, she was a prostitute, uh, she convinced a very sickly um, see, uh, elderly man who was very wealthy uh, to uh, divorce his wife, have her move in with him. Eventually they were to marry, and um, he would make uh, her his heir. And uh, he was worth, in today's dollars, his, his estate. He had a huge farm worth about 1.6 mil. But her plan goes awry. And when the, when the uh, elderly man doesn't divorce his wife and uh, threatens to change his will um, and cut her out as far as the prostitute and no longer make her his beneficiary, she uh, hatches a murder plot with the boyfriend to do, with away, do away with him and get the inheritance. Huh. Boy, she's a sweetheart, isn't she? Yeah, right? Well, what yeah. kind of money are we talking about here? Well, what happened was... Um, the uh, prostitute uh, in invited her boyfriend down um, to the, the spread, the, the farm in Arkansas. She was the spread, yeah. And uh, what happened was... Help me, oh Lord, please. Sorry? No, no Burl, Burl said something. Burl, sorry, it's Howard. Burl said something that just it, it sickened me, so I had to say, uh, help me, oh Lord, please. Okay. Yeah, we were referring to the high price spread that the uh, farmer was working on. Yeah, worse. Oh, oh, that's the hole okay. is getting deeper, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he okay, said. Howard, you want to join in on the phone? Go ahead. Yes, I did. Thank you. Thank you. It's a family show. Thank you for right? oh, yeah, it's a family show. Okay. Yeah, the Manson family. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened was um, she invited her, her boyfriend down, and the boyfriend uh, posed as the half-brother of the prostitute. And they uh, planned to, in the words they used, fix the old man, which is an interesting bit of early 20th century vernacular there. They were going to fix him. And they discussed, you know, how are we going to do it? And um, they discussed numerous ways, and they decided it was uh, they were all too risky. So what happened was they all went to sleep for some reason in the same room, which was quite odd. And uh, the woman either kept herself awake or uh, managed to stay awake. And what she did was she uh, woke her boyfriend up and said, why don't you at first light wake the elderly man up and tell him uh, you want him to um, take you across the river because he operated a ferry so you could hop a train and buy some whiskey. So first light, he woke him up. And they went out in the ferry, and unfortunately, he threw the man into the river. And I think it was, you know, pretty common back then that not many people can swim. People just didn't really swim for recreation much all then. I think he couldn't swim, and he just drowned him that way. And the man's dog saw this happening, and he, he did his best to, to try to intervene, but he, he couldn't save him. That's a hell of a good dog. Yeah, right? I was going to say, he, 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 it shows how dogs just love you no matter what, you know? I mean, I have a cat, and... and They'll it, eat you. If you die, the cat will eat you. Exactly. true. You hear that, that all the time. You're right. That's very true. Patrick, I, you sound like a nice enough guy. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Um, I know you're a fan of the show, and we thank you for that. Um, you, you fit in with us very, very well. But I have a question, and yeah. I mean this. How did you get a whole book out of some cockamamie dog flailing around because his uh, d d d owner was drowning in the, in the river? 
Well, what happened is there's um, another true crime podcast, which I like a lot, called True Crime Historian. And it's put on by uh, Richard Jones and Pulpia Media. And on that show, what Richard Jones does is he offers dramatic readings of uh, newspaper coverage of true crimes. And um, he has original music and some sound effects, and sometimes he uses voice actors. And some of the episodes are kind of like old-time radio plays, which are a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And in some of the episodes, what he does is he'll read, um, say, five articles uh, from one crime. And um, in other episodes, what he'll do is he'll say, he'll read one article each on, say, three, four, or five different crimes, excuse me. And one of his episodes, he read an article on this case. And um, I, I, right away, I knew that this was just a great story because I, I've always had a nose for a good story. I've been writing for periodicals for a long time. And I know, obviously, as you gentlemen all know, true crime is, is hot as heck right now. And almost everybody loves dogs. Well, I was going to say um, a lot of people love animals. So I figured if I put the two elements together, true crime and a story in which a dog plays a big role, I got to have a story that the public's going to like a lot. And it turns out I was right because it's done very well, uh, sales. Well, that's that's all very good. Are... That's great news. Great news. I'll right. tell you, he's absolutely correct because I had not heard of this book until I went on our own website, <laughs> actually our fan site on Facebook. Right. We do have a fan site, True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio, and uh, we've got well over a thousand people crazy enough to admit that they're big fans of the show. Wow. And lo and behold, what do I see? I don't know what. I see a picture of a book cover that says, What the Little Dog Witnessed. I go, what? Why, this is a dog and a true crime story. <laughs> Who oh, wrote this? It's like a game show and a court show all in one. Yeah, like Judge <laughs> Judy and you just win a jackpot. Right. Yeah. Or like bowling for furniture. So, exactly. Uh, so you mentioned the confessions. Uh, the confessions uh, caused some trouble later on. What happened there? They did. Well, what happened was um, both the the, uh, the woman and her boyfriend both confessed to, to their role in, in the plot, and they both retracted their confessions uh, later. Now, you know, I, I, I'm no police officer, but I like to think I have some common sense. And when you read his confession, it just it has a lot of detail and a lot of information that is really not related to the crime. And, and what I think, if, if, if I wanted to make up a story that I uh, uh, make up a confession, I would just put in the essential details. I wouldn't put in the color shirt I was wearing on the day, which in this case, that's not in there, but just an example of what I'm thinking about. I mean, he claimed he, he confessed just because he was afraid otherwise he would get lynched. And I have to say he was a white man, so it wasn't a racial issue. But um, I, I'm convinced he was guilty because the confession, you read the confession, it's, it's, it's not a made-up story. It's definitely not. But the jury didn't believe him, and, and, I, and I'm sure that's why, because the, the confession is just very convincing. Um, the prostitute said she also uh, recanted her confession, and she was found innocent. I think that's one of the interesting cases, uh, one of the interesting aspects of my book, is that the, the woman and the man were treated very differently by the legal system. And I know um, there was just another author. I don't remember whether it was your show or a different show, a, a female journalist. I apologize. I don't remember her name. I'm embarrassed about that. But she said after a long career of writing, one of the things that's hit upon her is that when women and men are tried for the same crimes, mm -hmm. they get treated very differently oh, yeah. by the legal system. That's true. 
you know. And and again, getting back to, I know you, this is a family show, but if you just think of a classic example, it's become a cliche among stand-up comedians nowadays when a teacher has relations with a student. If it's a beautiful woman, she gets probation. If it's a man who does that, he gets 20 years, which is good. I think he should get 40 years. I have a young daughter. But it's just an example how back then and even today that's still with us, that women get treated much differently. And okay, I'm going to pick a bone with you here. I'm going to disagree with you on one. This will be, uh, be fun. Oh, God. Because I just became aware of a case in where I live. Would that be Walla Walla, Washington? No, I used to live in Walla Walla. I live in Santa Clarita. Oh, California. Yeah. All right. You notice that young women mature faster than young men. I'm sure you probably noticed that. Right, right. And you've got some uh, young women who look like young women, not like young girls, and also are becoming sexually active around the average age of 13. So by the time they're 16, if they're really know what they're doing and they're really good looking they can cause a guy all sorts of trouble there happened to be one particular young lady going to high school in santa clarita who boldly and brazenly announced to all of her friends that by the end of this school year she's gonna have sexual relations with her math teacher whether he wants to or not well she worked at it worked at it and sure enough she finally got him and she bragged everybody and someone went to the administration and he went to prison wow that's a story yeah that's a story so uh yeah but he should have understood the uh or or not part yeah you know be how some guys are when a guy gets an erection he loses 75 percent of his religion and his blood. And <laughs> his blood, yes. All right, so the con- uh, when the- when it went to trial, the-, the confession caused some trouble with the conviction. Yes, that was an interesting case. Um, what happened was uh, when the judge uh, gave his instructions to the jury, he told them that um, th- they could convict the person if they, um, based upon either the confession alone or the confession in, uh, in conjunction with the evidence. And I spoke to my brother, who's a career defense attorney, about that. And what he explained to me is that the, the basic principle in law, and it's, it is just a basic principle, is that the confession alone is not alone, to, is not in itself enough to convict someone. We explained to me it's because if someone is mentally ill and they just go to a policeman and said, yeah, I did this horrible crime, you know, you, the legal system doesn't want to execute someone or put them in jail for life. Uh, when they're just delusional and think they committed a crime, they didn't. So they need other evidence to show that the person did it. So in this case, the judge uh, uh, really messed up because he told them, well, the confession basically told the jury, the confession, if you think just based upon the confession he did, then convict him. So the uh, Arkansas Supreme Court actually overturned the conviction, and uh, the man had to be retried. And the second trial around, before it went to trial, um, he was afraid of getting into the death penalty. So what he did was he uh, he pled. Uh, 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 he was able to plead guilty in return for getting a prison sentence instead of uh, the death penalty, instead of being hung. Hmm. Now, so what what does the incest have to do with this story? Sorry, Mark. How long did he get? Um. Oh boy, what was that? Let's see. I think it was. Uh, let me let me look. I think it was 20 years, and uh, he could get out uh, with good behavior after 13. I think it was. I have to check my uh, notes. How do they construct a number like that? Um. How did they come up with that? Yeah. The, the, 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly. That I, I, I didn't go into too much. Um, that, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't really answer that for sorry. you, Harold. I'm not sure. You know, it's strange when you consider how there's a policeman who did a premeditated murder in Seattle in an alley. And the guy had a tape recorder strapped to his body. <laughs> That's how they got the guy when they took the body to the morgue. Here's the guy doing, like in the movies, I'm killing you because, you know, it tells the whole story. He got 12 years. Wow. 12 ba years. Bad recording, is that it? No, it wasn't because of the bad recording, I guess. Uh, no, he, yeah, <laughs> it was just because he was a, a police detective. And so I guess that was somewhat in his favor that he only got 12 years for uh, murder. And they, of course, uh, put him in uh, in the system under an assumed name, kind of the uh, uh, inmate protection program. <laughs> right. If people knew he was a cop, they probably uh, wouldn't treat him as kindly as they did otherwise. But you could have someone uh, do far more than 12 years for uh, something, you know, really mild. Oh, for having your dog catch you. Yeah. Or a dog catch you. What happened to the dog in the end of uh, this whole thing? Well, what happened was he was adopted by the neighbor. Um, as I said, after he uh, witnessed his master being killed, he ran and got the neighbor and brought the neighbor back to the scene. The neighbor took him in. I mean, you, you have to take in a dog like that, right? How could you not? Oh, yeah. Right. And uh, I, I hope he lived out a nice peaceful life and, and, and lived to old age and died to sleep. I don't know the, the details, but you can hope, because he, he certainly deserved it. A dog like that showing that type of loyalty, he deserved a good life. He's probably traumatized the rest of his life and spent all day long worrying if his new master was going to be murdered. Could be. You never know. <laughs> yeah. But that's a darn good dog. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah, as you said, my cat would never do something like that No, me. no. A cat would eat you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no cat is ever going to run to Gramps and tell you that Timmy fell down a well. Meow. No. <laughs> so, yeah, Howard, wanted, Howard asked earlier, um, from the gentleman, the gentleman's estate, what kind of what kind of wealth was was did he have that made this endeavor worthwhile? In today's dollars, it was um, 1.86 million. And that was much more wrapped up in his farm and his livestock uh, uh, rather than uh, liquid uh, assets. So, so how, did, how, how did that get distributed at the end of the day? Well, see, that's one of the interesting things in my book is that um, in the end, the, the elderly man hoodwicked um, the woman and the couple. At the same time, they were tricking him because his part of the bargain, he was supposed to uh, change his will to benefit her. Which he did, but when the reading of the will came, it was found out that um, he inherited the property to her as, as a life estate. Now, I, I personally didn't understand what that meant. I had to, again, speak to my brother, the, the attorney. What he explained that to me is that um, she did inherit the property, you know, this, this vast farm, but she couldn't sell it. She was responsible for the taxes uh, and the upkeep. And, you know, she could profit from it while she was running it. But, you know, usually when you think of inheritance in the standard sense of the term, she would own it outright. She could, you know, sell it for, I guess, $1.6 million. That's what it was worth and live the high life. She couldn't do that. So in a way, he, he kind of stuck to her uh, just as she was sticking to him, so to speak. What, what happened to the money? Well, I, uh, that's another thing. The, the case goes back so far that... Um, 
uh, I wasn't able to find a lot of records, so I don't know for certain. But again, I have to assume that that um, the, the murdered man's brother would have contested the will, and that it would have been uh, null and void. So I don't think she got a cent. That's just my surmise. But I know that the burden, legal burden, that you would have to present to, to get that will successfully contested wouldn't be great. And I think any jury faced with the the, the confessions and the conviction of the man involved and the circumstances, I can't imagine that they would have let her in, inherit, uh, you know, the money after the man was drowned by her boyfriend. No, maybe they just let her keep some of the livestock. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Maybe she got a couple of cows. Here, yeah, right? yeah. That probably worked out just about well. Uh, I guess she was a good looker, though. I guess in a way, we'll see, I don't know. Again, getting back to the family show aspect of it, she, the, the newspaper described her as his housekeeper, but, but being that she was a prostitute, I, I wondered if maybe she, her services she provided were beyond keeping house. Well, she, yeah, sure she, I mean, she had to lure uh, the old chin whiskers Hannigan, uh, wherever the uh, farmer was. Chinwhiskers Hannigan? Yeah, Chinwhiskers Hannigan. Yeah. Okay. That's a good name. That's what he looks like. He looks like Chin Whiskers Hannigan. Sounds like a newsman that uh, had uh, <laughs> he had a newsman twenty years a ago. Chin Whiskers Hannigan with the news. <laughs> anyway, she must have done something to stimulate his interest, where he was even considered dumping his wife and uh, leaving her the livestock. Well, she was beautiful. Maybe that was enough. Yeah, it could be. What does beautiful look like in 1905? Take a look at the picture. Thicker. Well, you know, that's funny. I, that's something I've wondered about. I mean, I, I've been writing history a long time, and, and all the times you, you look at pictures of, you know, women from long ago, and, and you think of women who you picture in 2018 as beautiful. And I, I'm wondering if, if maybe over time people have become better good-looking just through natural selection. I mean, if it makes sense, the, the beautiful people among us, and I'm not one of them, I have to say, the beautiful people among us, you would guess, are going to have more kids than the not-so-beautiful among us. So I would guess, and again, I'm not a geneticist or whatever the practical science I should be saying, I would guess people have become more beautiful. So in answer to your question, I wonder if the standards then were different till today. But in this case, I, there were pictures of this woman in a newspaper, which I actually published on my blog, and she was quite a looker, as they say. She was very pretty. Mm. Well, I guess if you're a pretty woman with an eye for great wealth, and you don't mind some beards, that's a wise career choice. Although she didn't seem to have her moral compass aligned uh, true north, considering that she wanted her boyfriend to fix the guy right away. Very true. Yeah, she, she didn't want to wait to see if nature would take his course. She started to fear that he was going to change the will. They had an argument. He made the threat, and... And, and she figured she, as you said, she had to fix the guy to get her money. How much, uh, so no, how much longer do people think that he would have left, he would have uh, lived? Well, he was described as very uh, sickly and feeble, and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why this whole thing went down. I think that he was, um, he was very, I wouldn't say desperate, I think he really needed someone to take care of him. And um, I, I guess in his mind, he thought this was the bargain. He would have someone to care for him until he died, and, and, and in return, he would marry her and, and give her his wealth. But, but the other interesting thing is his, his son. You asked me before about how the crime of incest, incest uh, uh, factors into it. This elderly man was married four times, if I remember correctly. And um, one of his wives he got divorced from because the, the, his wife was carrying on with the man's son. 
Um, but it, I mean, I don't know if technically you call it an incestual relationship if it's a stepmom. But, but I guess it's no, but it's just more exciting. Yeah, no, there's a whole ra- there's a whole raft of videos on that topic. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> so anyway. My beloved stepson, you know, stepmom teaches teen new tricks. Uh, I thought it was stepmom, but it's. <laughs> Yeah, but Howard's getting bored with that when you see them all I, I, so often. I, 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 I'm not, uh, no, no. To, to listen to your uh, ramblings on you, YouTube and you porn uh, do nothing for me, bro. But, well, uh, I'm not, you're not my target audience. No, I'm not. And I have my own time with that, but that's the end. <laughs> Your own way of dealing yes, with that. Yes, I did, yeah. That's so, right. um, was, uh, was, our, uh, was our victim married at the time uh, our, uh, our perpetrators came along? Oh, you, oh, you oh, had I'm a sorry, wife. I, I, let me just, I'll just answer your last question real quick. I'm sorry, uh, Mark. Uh, yeah, as far as the incest thing, what happened was, it was one of the things I did find was a fascinating file on the divorce proceedings. And the, 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 um, it's quite interesting all the testimony given. People saying that the son and his stepmom were were seen embracing and walking arm in arm around town, and the um, the, the 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 son would leave uh, at night and say she was going to visit a friend, and, and instead spend the night at the, uh, the, the the her stepson's house. It was it was quite quite uh, quite scandalous. The whole the whole town was a buzz, and it was just very interesting to read that file. That was one of the original documents that I did come across, and. And that's where the, the incest part of it comes in. Yeah, it's not really incest, but it's pretends it is. <laughs> yeah, that says one of those things that you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to be doing your stepmother. You're not your supposed to do that. No, no definitely um, not. Unless you're no, shooting no. for for you porn. Yeah, or red <laughs> <Yes>. too. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, you do other stuff besides write books about uh, dangerous dogs. and I mean, uh, but wait, wait, I got to get back to the story again. I was going to digress, but I have to get back to it. What the hell does Mob Barker's gang have to do with it? Yes, um, what happened was um, the sheriff had a son uh, called Manly Jackson. Manly? Manly was his name, so I guess he, he, had, he had an awful lot to live up to in his name. He had, he had to be a manly guy to satisfy his dad, I assume. But anyway, um, he was a, a night marshal in Pocahontas, Arkansas, which is a town which is very nearby to where the murder happened. And um, one night, uh, he was shot. And um, initially, there was a trial. There were three people put on trial for the conviction. And uh, the sheriff I spoke about, William A. Jackson, he was the prosecuting attorney all the time, got convictions in all three of the cases. And it was not until the 1970s when, um, I think it was, it was Alvin Creepy Carpus published a uh, memoir. And when he... <laughs> Call me the, Creepy. <laughs> isn't that a great nickname for a criminal of the 1930s? It's one of the best. That was great for his self-image. <laughs> hey, <laughs> <Right>. Creepy. <laughs> So, what's the name of, of Patrick's book? Oh, is the name of his book? It's not creepy. No. No, no, it's called What the Little Dog Witnessed, uh, The True Crime of Willie Roberts and Ed Hubbard. And it's uh, part of an e-book series called Two Dollar Terrors. So does that mean it costs two dollars? Well, it's actually two dollar ninety-nine. It's even better. That's a good but deal. And if you mention true, uh, true crime uncensored, it's still a dollar ninety-nine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
But just getting back to your last question, what happened was when Alvin Creepy Carpus published his memoir, I think it was uh, 1971, he uh, talked about that crime. And he was the one who finally said in the book that the person who killed Albert Manley Jackson, which again was the son of the sheriff who cracked the case, was Fred Barker of the infamous uh, Ma Barker gang. Well, why, why did he kill the sheriff's son? Well, what happened is the members of the gang were um, driving around town, and they were um, casing places to rob. And uh, the sheriff had some really good law enforcement instincts. And he, uh, what happened was he noticed that the car had pulled over, and, and one of the gang members, um, uh, uh, William Weaver, actually had to urinate, so he left the car, was peeing on the side of the road, and the night marshal came up, wrote down the license plate. And uh, a gun was pulled on him. He was ordered into the car. He was driven outside of town. And I think that what happened was the, um, the criminals thought that the sheriff um, would be able to memorize the license plate and what the car looked like. And unfortunately, they just had him. They told him to start walking, shot him in the back, and just uh, drove away. And, and it wasn't until 30-somewhat years later that the truth finally came out of who, was, who really did it. Hmm. Sooner or later, it all comes out in the wash. It's just a spin cycle that makes you crazy. That's it. Oh! I made that up myself. I know you did. And I wish you did kept it to yourself. Yeah, you should have. People quote that. <laughs> they can't. I got to tell you, I'm still, I'm still processing that the dog saved this guy's life. Well, try to. Yeah, try to. Tried to. What happened was the, the dog was accustomed to hopping in, in the boat when uh, the men ferried across the river. He operated Burns' ferry. His, his last name was Burns. And uh, that morning, um, he uh, Burns and the man who killed him, you know, uh, took a walk out to the river. And uh, the dog uh, woke up. He was sleeping beneath the steps, came running down to the river. And the uh, soon-to-be killer drove him off a few times, didn't want him there. The dog would uh, first try to get in the boat and then try to uh, swim towards the boat. The, the man drove him away. And uh, finally, when the dog saw that the, um, his master had been pitched in the river, he dove in and started swimming towards him. But uh, alas, he, he was, didn't get there in time, wasn't able to save him. And again, I speculate he, he couldn't swim because it just that would have been common back then that people wouldn't have been able to swim in 1905. So then the dog runs and gets the neighbor. That's what happened. He runs and gets the neighbor, and he makes a big fuss barking outside the house. Uh, the neighbor comes out. The dog grabs his pant leg, gives a yank, and pulls him in the direction of the river. So the, the neighbor uh, says to him, where's Uncle Pless, which is the, the man's nickname. The dog starts running towards the river. Um, the man runs after him. Um, and then eventually uh, people dove into the river when they noticed that the dog had jumped in and was swimming around circles in the river. Uh, according to the press report, where the man went down, they dove down to the river and, and pulled his body up uh, from the depths. Mm. Boy, that dog. Give the dog a medal. Something, right? Yeah, I wish and I could have that deal. dog. And a book deal. <laughs> Set him on tour. And a TV show. <laughs> wow. Hey, what? Uh, you write a lot of other stuff that isn't true crime, a lot of historical nonsense. Uh, it used to be that people thought that, you know, if it was that long ago, 1905, 1901, 18, whatever, you're not going to be able to get the information. You're not going to be able to do the research. But Correct. things are changing, aren't they? 
I think so. You know what's really incredible nowadays is that the the amount of stuff that's available digitally through subscription databases and some stuff's free through, uh, free through the web, it's really amazing what you can do just from sitting at your desk. It's, it's quite incredible. And, and you're right to some extent. I know, Brawl, that you uh, mainly focus on more modern crimes, so you have the advantage of, of a lot of uh, surviving records. But, I mean, I was able to piece the story together through the newspaper coverage because it was, it was so extensive. I mean, as I said, people in the, everywhere in the country read about it. This was just a huge story in his time. It, nowadays, locals don't even remember it. And I think because it was... It was soon before World War One, you know, fa fairly soon. Of course, World War One came along, and and you know, a story like this would be nothing compared to the, the the death, you know, that we saw there. And then, of course, there's World War Two was worse, and then you have the tumult of the '60s, and it was just forgotten about it. And I'm, I'm hoping maybe with, with with this book, I can I can uh, maybe save that story from being forgotten about because I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, I found the uh, Supreme Court uh, documentation online. For the, yes, for, the, yes. for the reversal of the case. Wasn't that interesting? It's just amazing what's online today. It's so incredible what you can access just from your keyboard. It's, it's, it's changed. Research has changed so much. I mean, I, I had to, I made several, uh, a bunch of trips to my local library to look at interlibrary loan microfilm, you know, the newspapers mm -hmm. today. And, of course, I made a lot of interlibrary loan requests. And I did write a lot of repositories. I got some back, documents back from Arkansas. But just to your point, yes, I did uh, you know, most of this research right from my desk. And it's just the world has really changed, and it's a great thing in that way. Yeah, and also the, the same great source that you could get all this wonderful stuff from is the same one used to put out all manner of misinformation. And I, I figured out how to tell. Uh, if a, uh, an article is misinformation, twisted sister stuff, if the exact same article, word for word, is found on about two pages of links, you know, like you look for it on Google, put in the, the first ah. phrase, and you find website after website after website with names such as TruePatriot.com, uh, Center for Western Journalism, which is the one, the one that just makes me bite the wall. Uh, and they're all owned by the same guy. Right. They all wrote the exact same word-for-word -word articles. But the thing is, is that after you go through about two pages of, you know, the same crap, you have to go through all that to get to, you know, what, what, but you get to the facts. Now, there is a, uh, I think it's Center for Western Journalism. I may be wrong on this, so don't quote me directly. They will have the total BS made-up story with a link to the true one. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, so, like, you read this thing about what well, Senator so-and-so did to this horrible, sick, bizarre, weird, twisted thing, and they'll have the link saying, no, that never happened. <laughs> but, you know, they just... And now the new thing is... The videos that can be done that look totally real, that aren't. So they're doing recreations for the web? They're doing whole new bogus stuff for the web. You're right. It's scary. You never watch us now. It used to be your eyes on TV. You're right. Now they can with video editing. It's really, it, it, it's, it's kind of frightening to think that, that, that you could do almost anything and, and someone could theoretically set somebody up. Yeah, the, one of the guys who came up with a method for telling what was a fake video and what wasn't uh, made one where it looks as if uh, uh, Barack Obama is uh, 
Uh, Is a good president? Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, that was the one, yeah. That was the one where he saved the economy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's a goodie. Uh, calling uh, Trump an asshole or something, which is believable, but uh, but it was totally fake uh, video the guy made and explained how he made it and how he made it look real. Well, they've come up with a way now of actually reading the blood flow, the pulse of the person in the video in various parts of their body. So if the face has been changed and you put someone else's face on the body, the blood pulse in the face is going to be different than the rest of the body. That's one way. But it's that complex now. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. Wow. What are you working on now, Pat? Well, um, my next project, I'm uh, going to write a book on my uncle, Harry Schmidt. And um, his life, I think, really reads like a Shakespearean tragedy. And uh, his death is one really that, in, in some ways, my family has never healed from, and it's kind of haunted us ever since. Um, he was the golden boy of my family, and um, he was the one who everyone in the family expected to go the furthest in life. And as my mom says, he could do anything, and um, he always wanted to be the best at everything he did. And, and unfortunately, I never knew the man. He died before I was born. But so far in my research, I have yet to find out um, any examples of him having failed to, uh, to live up to his own standards. And um, when he was very young, he was a yo-yo champion. And um, pardon me, I have all sorts of excuse me, patches that he won as a yo-yo champion. I guess I guess back then that was the, the, the big kid's toy, I guess. He was born in 1935. That was the thing for kids at the time. And um, in grade school, he was so smart that he was uh, advanced a year in school, uh, skipped ahead, and um, he was uh, always got star grades. He was also offered tryouts by two uh, professional baseball teams, which he never followed up on, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. Uh, in college, he was a star athlete. He got into Queens College, which in New York, which at the time uh, was free, but only the very best students in all of uh, New York City could get in. And um, he decided in high school that he would go into Air Force ROTC. And he was a patriotic guy, but um, he, he actually went in more for economic reasons than anything else because at the time, uh, in your uh, junior and senior year, you would get um, a stipend. from. The, so you actually paid to be an Air Force cadet. So not only was college free, you would actually be making money, and the, the money was something that um, he definitely would have needed because things were uh, really tight. The family did have money troubles back then. And also, it was because once he got out of the Air Force, he um, had a guaranteed job for three, three years, which, you know, was a big thing. And he graduated from college in 1956. He, he graduated as the uh, top um, cadet in, in the Air Force ROTC, the top-ranked cadet. He was commander of the, of the cadet battalion. He was what's called the distinguished military graduate. Mm -hmm. He had dreamed of being a pilot, but unfortunately... Um, he, that didn't work out for him because he had an in-ear problem. And what that meant is he had to be uh, a navigator. So if you've all seen the movie Top Gun, maybe you have, uh, if you remember the guys in the back seat who worked the radar. You know, yeah, the Jaffos. Sorry? The Jaffos. Yeah, 
Yeah, I guess you could say that, right. He was a navigator, so he didn't fly the plane, but you know, that meant that every time he went up, his life was in the hands of the man flying. My uncle would work the radar and, and direct the pilot. So um, he was a navigator and a, and a fighter interceptor, and, and his job basically was to protect the country from potential attack by Soviet nuclear bombers. If, if the Soviets were to attack us, he and his pilot were to fly up there. Um, he was to lock his radar on the, the bomber and uh, get the pilot in position, direct them to where he could shoot the, um, the bomber down. But um, what that meant was that whenever an, an identified plane was coming to American airspace, uh, he had to, him and the pilot had to be ready to scramble within a couple of minutes. I think it was they had to be up within two minutes or something like that. So in July 1958, it was a few minutes before midnight, and uh, they were at Dover Air Force Base, and the radar picked up an unidentified plane. So they raced out, got in the plane, were sent up, and uh, it was dark as could be, and um, there was no visual. The sky and the ocean looked exactly the same. So the pilot really had to keep his eye on that altimeter to fly. So they were trying to identify this plane to make sure it wasn't any type of a threat or anything like that. The plane started to descend. The pilot started to descend, and he actually skipped the plane on uh, the top of the ocean. But he didn't know that. He thought the sound he heard when it hit the water was the plane blowing up. So he ordered my uncle to eject. Uncle did eject. He punched out, as they say. Pilot tried to, didn't, because before he took off, he forgot to take the safety pin, take the safety pin out of his ejection seat. So what happened was the jet actually miraculously came to a stop in the Atlantic Ocean off Cape Cod. The pilot got out, got in a raft, got picked up. Unfortunately, my uncle didn't make it because uh, today, you know, ejection seats work so well that uh, there's actually a rocket motor that shoots you up, and you could probably eject sitting on. A runway, and it'll it'll punch you up so high that there'll be plenty of time for your parachute to open up, slow you down, and, and you'll probably survive. But back then, it wasn't like that because ejection seats worked by means of an explosive shell. And when that explosion went off, there was a limit to how much force they could push you up because if there was too much force, it could injure your spine and possibly kill you. So back then, when you ejected, it was only meant to push you up high enough so when the, that when the plane came under you, the plane didn't hit you. So what that means is when my uncle ejected, I, I, I would estimate he was probably only about 20 feet off the surface of the ocean. So what that meant is he never had a chance. He would have hit the water still strapped into his steel ejection seat going probably several, several hundred miles an hour, and uh, the Air Force said his neck was probably uh, broken instantly, and I think he just would have went straight to the bottom, still uh, strapped to his steel uh, ejection seat. And all they ever found, unfortunately, was a rubber dinghy, and, and that, was, that was the end of his life, unfortunately. Oh, that's a tragic story. And, and the worst part is the, it's the potential. Afterwards, it was found out that him and his girlfriend had promised to marry each other in his letters. Um, he had just bought a new brand new 57 Chevy. Mm. Um, as I said, he was on the verge of applying to Harvard Law School. Where's that car now? Was, I'm sorry? Where's that car now? Oh, you know, people have asked me that question. God, I wish I still had that car. It was like a light blue 57 Chevy. My, uh, his sister, my aunt, actually got it and drove it for around, around for a while. But, yeah, in French, eventually, I guess it was just sold off. I wish that car was still in the family. It's just funny. I think the iconic car of the 1950s was mm -hmm. the car he had. And I picture him, again, like a scene in Top Gun. I picture him driving around Delaware with his girlfriend with his aviator sunglasses on, you know, in yeah. his brand-new 57 Chevy. You know, when you're 22, that's 
that's just the life. You know, I'm sure he thought he had it made, and he had his whole life ahead of him. He's going to go to Harvard Law. Um, he's going to go into politics, and there's just no saying what he could have accomplished because he was such a talented guy. He had never failed at anything, and it's it, 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 it's so hard to think about what he may have done if he hadn't have died so tragically. Yeah, it's weird. Then there are yeah, people right? who are complete assholes that go on forever. Isn't that something? It really well said, is, right? You just never, never, never know in life. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Sense. I started writing it, but I'm still looking for a publisher. So if I'm, I'm, I'm hoping someone might, might hear that and might want to contact me on Facebook or Twitter. Well, get hold of our friends at Wild Blue Press. They, uh, they'll they publish me. They'll publish just about anything. I'd love to do that. Thank you. Can I say Burl send me? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, That'll help your career a lot. That's going to work. <laughs> yeah, that'll work for you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Oh, boy. What time is it? It's time to say goodbye in is it? a matter of moments, yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yes, it is. It's your phone or my phone? Uh, oh, that's, that's my phone. Undoubtedly your phone because it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, the, let's give them again the title of the book that we want them all to run out and buy immediately. It's on Kindle. And it's a quick read, right? It's not going to take them like months. They don't even have to run out and buy it. No, they can download it. Yeah, they just download it. That simple. They could do it right from the comfort of their own home. If their own home is comfortable, yes, they Or do. they could do it from the comfort of someone else's There's home. There's that, too. Patrick, Bowmaster, yes. What yes, the sir. Little Dog Witnessed. Check it out. Read it. Enjoy it. Buy it. Read it. Believe it. Thank you so much. It's available every, everywhere e-books are sold. It's only available as an e-book. But again, that's because it, it falls in that, that gap between uh, periodical articles and something that's that not long enough. Gotcha. How many words is it? Um, it's about uh, 9,000 words or so. Yeah, that's what we uh, used to call in the old days a novella or a novelette. Right. Mm. Or 45. Or 45. <laughs> 33 and a third. Right. 16, long playing, vocal only. Number 16. Right. Yeah. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for listening. Sure, sure. I, I, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. I said I, I'm truly honored uh, that you had me today. It, it's a highlight of my career. I had a great time. It was great having some laughs with you all. And, and I, I, as I said, I had a great time. Thank you so much for well, this. I'll have you back when you have your next book out. It'll be great. I love that. All right. Have fun. Keep writing. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Patrick. <laughs> Nice guy. What's his name? Yeah. Is his name Bobo? Bobo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Patrick Bobo. Master. Yeah, Bobo he's, Master. No, he's sane. He is. Yeah. The world's not, but he is. <laughs> okay, I never made any pretensions of no, being I sane. That. I know. Let's pick up a picture. I'm now. not stupid. Just a piece of business, bro. What's next? Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence, live from the Light in the Lounge on LRadioLive.com. <laughs> <laughs>